Well, good morning. Um, it is good to see each of you here this morning. And I would like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of Philippians this morning. The book of Philippians, uh, chapter number 4. I want to read to you um, a verse of Scripture that you are very familiar with. You see it used, you see it um, in various places all the time. It's Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 13. Um, And I would ask you to please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I can do all things through Him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you again for your great word. I thank you, Father, for the many radical promises that you speak to your people. Today, Father, I thank you specifically for the radical promise that is enveloped in Paul's statement in verse 13. God, I pray, though, that this radical promise will not be misused. I pray that this radical promise will not be abused. I I pray, Father, that you will help us to see what you are saying to us in verse 13. That, God, you will help us to hear the sound of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, we would rightly apply this verse a verse that so often is wrongly applied. God, grant us the grace to see what it means when Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. This radical New Testament promise is one of the most misapplied texts in your New Testament. Now, guys, you see it everywhere. You'll see it on T-shirts. You'll you'll see athletes will have that um, painted onto their, their cheek. You'll see it in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different areas. And it's not being used necessarily in the way that it is intended. Philippians 4.13 is not, let me hear you say that it's not. It is not a promise to be claimed and applied to the accomplishment of just any goal or any achievement that the believer sets their mind to. 
Philippians 4 and verse 13 is not some self-help, self-pump-you-up mantra to carry you across the finish line or the goal line or any line for that matter. Philippians 4.13 does not obligate God to empower us for anything that we want. You see, to use this verse in that way, and many Christians do, is to cross the line. It is to go over the line of the context and to misapply the verse. Now, this verse that is so misapplied is one that we are in desperate need of. Okay? It, it, it is one in which we need to walk in the reality of it because of what it's communicating. So I want us to understand what Paul is saying because, guys, as the days get darker, you realize the days are dark right now, and as the true church looks forward on the horizon, it does not look like the world is going to get any friendlier to Christianity. In the days that are coming and in the problems that we will face, we need, we need to be able to walk in this text. So, what is Paul saying to us in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ, through Him Depending on your translation, the hymn is Christ, okay. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What? So the first question before I even begin to get into verse 13 is what, what is the context of this radical promise? I mean, what is the setting for this radical promise? Because if you miss the context, then you will misapply the promise. Too many people come to this particular verse and they, 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 it's like they, they come to verse 13 with a sharp razor in their hand and they take that razor and they carefully cut along around that verse and they pull it out of chapter 4 and they will paste it with a sticky note to any and all kinds of situations and it doesn't necessarily apply to it. Now people do that with all kinds of verses. So it's important that we understand the context. We don't want to take verse 13 and make it some sort of standalone verse with application to anything we want. All we do when you do that and when a person does that is set themselves up for failure and frustration. What happens when some sincere, well-meaning believer preaches to themselves, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then they go to the interview for that job that they have been waiting for for a long time and they walk out of there realizing they didn't get the job. What then? What then? Either he'll feel like the ultimate faith failure who just can't put Scripture to work in his life, or worse than that, he will walk out of there losing confidence in the promises of Scripture and the God who promised them. 
So what is the context? Well, guys, how do you figure out context? Well, now you need to read around verse 13. Let's see what's going on around verse 13. Let's read. Let's look back up to verse 11. Let's read verses 11 and 12, which lead up to verse 13. What does Paul write? He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now guys, the immediate context of verse 13 is clear. Paul is talking about the various circumstances of his life. As a matter of fact, when he is writing Philippians, this letter right here, you want me to tell you what his circumstance is? He is locked up and he is in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he is writing this word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul is letting the Philippians know that his experience was that God was the all-sufficient supplier of power for everything that he needed, that he could be content. He could be, you go back up to the beginning of chapter 4, he could be at peace. He could be at peace and not give in to anxiety in his situations. He could be at peace in the midst of all circumstances. That God was the supplier of the strength and the power that he needed to fulfill his will and his purpose in his life, no matter what the circumstance was that he found himself in. Whether Paul was walking in abundance or whether Paul was walking in light, lack. It did not matter if he was being beaten for the gospel or if he was being honored by some magistrate. Whatever his lot, Paul had discovered that God was faithful to supply him with the power to persevere under any circumstance and any situation because and for the sake of the gospel and the good of Paul and the glory of God. Now, it is because of the reality of Philippians 4.13 that Paul could write things like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7, 8, and 9, where he says, And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. That's a Philippians 4.13 reality being expressed in 2 Corinthians 4. It is because of the reality of Philippians 4.13 that Paul could pen again in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. You're familiar with that passage. He talks about a thorn 
in the flesh. He writes these words. He says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, I, that it should leave me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Same principle about contentment in all circumstances that he's that he has communicated in Philippians chapter 4. You find that right there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. So, I would say, true church, the context of our text is that God will give us and supply us strength to stand up and be content in any circumstances that we find ourselves in because we are Christian, because we are propagators of the gospel. He will give us whatever we need to fulfill our purpose in those circumstances. Always. Always He will. Now, having laid the framework, setting the context, let's walk through verse 13. A promise that Paul personally experienced. And just walking through the logic of the verse, I'll note five things about this radical promise rightly applied. Number one, we see the personal responsibility of the promise. The text starts off with a little pronoun, I. I. Verse 13 begins with I. This singular I is indicative of personal responsibility. Now guys, wherever God promises something to us in Scripture, wherever He promises something to us, such as the provision of His power, His child is responsible for exercising faith in the promise communicated. That is important that you recognize that responsibility. Let me give you an example. Give you an Old Testament example with the Hebrew children. They were promised some land, were they not? We call it the promised land. Yet, as they were about to go in and take possession of that land, and the Hebrew spies came back and told the people what they saw in that land, that there were giants in the land. How did God's people respond to that? Now, they had been promised the land. The land was theirs. Yet, what do they do? They do what we do a lot of times. They freaked out. 
They, they, they were afraid of the giants in the land. They, couldn't, they didn't think they could overtake the giants in the land. They disregarded God's promise. They did not exercise faith in the promise that God had given them. And so what happened? They roamed around for 40 years in the desert before they entered the promised land. They did not fulfill personal responsibility. When we do not exercise our faith in the promise of God, that results in in pain that we could have avoided. It results in worry and in anxiety. You see, if Paul had not exercised his faith, he would not have been able to write Philippians 4.13. Now, I want to be very clear about this I of verse 13. It is not a self-centered I in this context. This personal responsibility that I'm telling you is indicative here needs to be defined. Here's what personal responsibility is for you, believer. It is your response to His sovereign ability. Responsibility is your response to His sovereign ability. The I can do is not a throw the light on Paul's ability kind of a statement. Rather, it denotes enabling. In in, in other words, Paul could only say, I can do, because God had enabled him to do so. I'm going to say something radical, and I'm going to show you that it's absolutely biblical, what I'm about to tell you. Whatever God wills is our responsibility. God also wills the power to fulfill that responsibility. Did Paul not pretty much tell us this over in chapter 1. Chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I love this passage because it juxtaposes God's sovereign power right up against human responsibility. I I refer to this passage as an illustration on a lot of different levels sometimes, but this is just right here in Philippians, so I cannot resist. Listen to this. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here's here's what he's going to tell them. Here's the command. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying, you who are saved, let's work it out. Let's work it out practically in your life. Do so. Work it out with fear and trembling. That's the work it. Okay? That's what he's telling them. Okay? But then what does he say? What is the next thing that he says in verse 13 after he tells them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There you go. Which is exactly what I'm trying to say to you. So we start off with the personal responsibility of I. We have a promise of God and when we have the promises of God, we must, we must exercise faith in that promise. We must. 
Number two, we see the powerful nature of the promise because Paul then moves from I to can do. He says, I can do. Now, these first three words of verse 13 are quite tricky, really. Satan preaches the first three words of Philippians 4.13, the I can do. We see it being uh, preached in the demonic doctrines of New Age mysticism that are clothed in Western clothing and in Americanized pseudo-Christianity. We see it today. We hear the, these words being echoed in the uh, preaching of the power of the self-help devils. We hear it in the teachings of the power of positive thought. Wicked spirits come to people and they'll whisper it in their ear. Believe in yourself. Oh, just think and you can do it. Just believe and you can achieve. Just think you can and you can. It's the little engine that could on steroids. And I'm telling you that it's Hellborn, the misuse of the I can do. You see, the phrase, the can do, in its Greek form, it, it means to be empowered by extraordinary means. And the extraordinary Ordinary means is obvious from the context of verse 13, the very statement of verse 13. It is Christ Himself. The false, self centered gospel of the Americanized church cheapens a verse like this. Oh, I want to say to some of our preachers out there today, you, you think you can do? <laughs> that you have the power to do? I remind you, Jesus said, John chapter 15 and verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Wow. Number three, as we walk through this text, we see the parameter of the promise. Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things. That means all things, that all circumstances you find yourself in as a believer because of your Christianity because of the gospel that you don't back down from. Whether that be a good circumstance or a bad circumstance. All circumstances. Whether it looks like the world is crumbling apart around you, you can be at peace and content because God will, in all those things, supply you with the strength that you need. There is no gospel trial that you can't endure. Do you hear me? There is no gospel-related call that you can't fulfill. He will supply what you need. Give you another Old Testament example. You remember 
Moses, what he was called to lead in Exodus 4. He was called to lead the, the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. And when he was confronted by the Most High God, the I am that I am, what, what did Moses say? But, 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 I, 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 I can't do this. What did God say? Oh, I am that I am. Okay. He was saying, I am what you need. I can supply you. I am the all-sufficient, all-sovereign. I am that I am. By the way, that is the etymological root of the personal name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah. He said, I am, I, I've got you, okay? You can do this. You fast forward to the New Testament. You think of someone like Peter. Oh, arrogant, boastful Peter. Who on the night that Jesus was arrested couldn't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus before a little old lady. Swearing down curses on himself. I don't know that blankety blank, blank, blank Nazareth. Oh, but God wasn't done with him. When he was endowed with power from on high, when the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the church, Peter stood and preached with a boldness that is so uncanny compared to the way he was the night Jesus was arrested. Regardless of circumstance, he will supply power to fulfill his will in your life. And you can be content and at peace in the midst of it. Guys, I can speak from my own experience. Now, there's not a person in this room, not even my wife, that knew me when I was 15, 16 years of age. But I was a person, I was not... I did not stand up and talk to people. I didn't do public speaking. It terrified me. I was the kid that when I stood up to give a book report, I would get all these lumps and air, gasps of air in my throat, and I couldn't couldn't hardly get it out. I was so embarrassed. I would turn so red. The Lord saved me when I was 16 years of age. Still terrified of public speaking. At the age of 17, though, I I begin to have this desire that is not like what I would want. I begin to desire to preach God's Word. I would go to services and, and it was like all I could see. I would go there and the preacher would begin to preach and all I could do is I could I would see myself preaching. I would see that, and I'm like, I can't do that. What is this? This is just another delusional idea, a grandiose idea that's in Scott Livingston's mind. I can't do that. And I remember I wrestled and I struggled with that, and I ran from that. I mean, I tried to figure out everything under the sun that I could do 
for a living just to get out of preaching. I didn't want to do that. But yet at the same time, I did want to do that. I remember one night... I was sitting with a group of my fellow believers, youth, and I just began to weep. I said, I think I'm supposed to preach. You know what their response was? We figured that. Guys, that terrorized me. That terrified me. And do you know that to this day, before I step up here in this pulpit, I am absolutely in knots. I still have some of the same old things pop in my brain. What in the world if you go blank? What are you going to do when they're looking at you so weird? You know y'all look at people weird. When you stand up and pray, y'all have the weirdest faces. People have the weirdest faces. That bothered the prophet Jeremiah. That's why God had to tell them, don't be afraid of their faces. But I remember something happens in that moment that is outside of me. Never forget uh, Brenda Holsey, who meant a lot to me. Her and her husband uh, discipled me in many ways as I had surrendered to preach and was growing in the faith. She just looked at me one day. She said, Scott, there's, there's a notable change and difference in you when you begin to preach. I thought, what do you mean? I put on a show? What does that mean? She said, no. You go from being silly, little goofy, quiet, to there's a change. And there's an authority. And there's something different. And it's God. It's supernatural. I want to honor the Lord. He didn't have to set me apart, goofy kid that I was to do this. And I want to be worthy of the calling. And that's the great struggle day in and day out that everybody faces. But guys, what I want you to know is that what God has put in your heart to do, one of the ways you can know it's God because it's just not like your personality, He'll give you the strength to do it. Paul said, and I can do all things. Oh my. The parameter of this power. 
Number four, we see the person of the promise. Paul says, I can do all things through Him. Him who? Him, Christ. This is the dagger that kills a self-centered use of this verse. The center of verse 13 is Christ. The center of the promise is the extraordinary means of the I can do. It is Him. It is Christ. He is the vine and you are the branches, church. Abide in Him and He in you. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But abiding in Him, you will go and you will bear much fruit. Hallelujah. Wow. How different this is from the false spirit of those who would say things like this. Let me quote to you something. This is, this is a false spirit. This is a false use of this concept. One very famous, very well-known pastor, so-called, said, and I quote, If you develop an image of victory, success, health, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you, end quote. If you just develop an image, in other words, if you just visualize the thing wanted, you just keep that before you, and you just speak that, and you just... Preach that to yourself. Nothing on earth will keep that from you, he says. That is Joel Osteen, page five of your best life now. Let me tell you what that is. That is baloney. That is the demonic doctrines of New Age philosophy that masquerades in this church. Not this church here, but I'm talking about the the masquerades in the American church. And so many people buy into it. Because it feels good. It pumps the spirit up. But it's not truth. You want to tell you what that is? It's Eastern mysticism. It's witchcraft. witchcraft wow let me quote to you from the mouth of truth now the apostle Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 he says not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from God. <laughs> wow. Not what we can set our minds to. Not what we can visualize. Not what we can speak into being. No! 
But it is God and what God has spoken and laying hold of what God has said and resting by faith in what God has said and leaning in on the promises of God. That, my friend, is the source of all power. That, my friend, is the source of all strength. Ye are not God's, but He is God. And any pastor that tells you you are a little God is a liar from hell. You hear me? They twist scriptures. They misapply it. It's nothing but the same old lie that the devil sold Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat of this tree and ye shall be like God. There is only one God, the Most High God. And and He's sufficient, and He'll supply you with whatever strength you need to walk in His will and fulfill your purpose for the sake of the gospel and the glory of His name and the good of you and your family. Wow. Number five. Notice the personal touch of the power promised. Paul says, I can do all things through Him, through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. He personally strengthens Paul and He will personally strengthen you, true church. He will personally strengthen you. The word there where it says strengthens me, it means to make strong for the task. And as I was thinking about this verse, I thought about Corey Tim Boom. Some of you are familiar with Corey Tim Boom. She was uh, she was Jewish, but a believer in Christ, and she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp because she was harboring Jews. She tells of years later she came face to face with one of the guards that were at the camp that she was at. And all oh, the memories it brought back to her. You see, this particular guard had humiliated her He had degraded her. He had terrorized her. He had hurt her. He even helped in the murdering of her family. And here she is, face to face with somewhere. Immediately, all she could think of was the pain. The hurt, the wound. But this gentleman, I'm calling him a gentleman, he recognized Corey. And he began to weep. And he said, Ma'am, would you forgive me? 
Corey's immediate thought was, according to her, I can't do that. I can't do that. But Corey, Tim Boone, was reminded of Philippians 4.13. And she began to say to herself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because you see, God's will is that you forgive just as in Christ God forgave you. And she just said, Jesus, help me. You see, she could have sat back and sat in her flesh and played the victim card. Multitudes did. She didn't do that. She said that there was no debating what she should do in that moment. And she reached out and she grabbed that man's hand. And she said, I forgive you. With tears streaming down her face and love overflowing from her heart. My friend, you never look more like God than when you forgive those who have hurt you. Never. Because you see, we are enemies of God. We are rebels against God. We have grieved His Spirit. We have thrown our hands high-handed against Him and all of His majesty and all of His goodness and all of His greatness and all of His graciousness. He has been faithful to us. And He sent His only begotten Son to bear the punishment we deserve Wicked, depraved enemies we were. Wow. 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 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you? I will tell you, you can't if you're not truly saved. You can't if you have not been born again. You, you can't apart from trusting in Christ alone. So I would say to you, trust Him. It's your only hope. It's your only source of salvation from the wickedness that you are. And I would say to the church, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have trusted Him for salvation. Now trust Him for life. Trust Him in His promises. Trust Him. Trust Him. For you can do all things through Christ. All things what? All things, circumstances you find yourself in. 
for the sake of the gospel. Because you are Christian. Let's pray. Precious Father, again, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You will plant it deep within our heart. I pray, Father, that anyone that is here that does not know in a saving way our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray, Father, for any believer that is wandering around in unbelief in Your promises. Lord, gently help them to rest in peace, in contentment. Help us, Lord. Help us to discover the extraordinary means of making it. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet, every head to uh, remain bowed. I'm going to ask Angie to play, and Gary's going to sing. And if uh, the Lord has dealt with your heart in some way that demands a public response, whether that's talking about the gospel that saves or whether that's some other need that you have, um, I am here to serve you and to minister to you in any way. It's Angie Plays and Gary Sings. You